0: Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas so you can keep more of what you make. And on that theme coming up later this hour, I want to talk about people who make big money who live like they're making nearly nothing. Why do they do that? And is that a smart idea to sacrifice so much now so that later you don't have to worry about money. When is that a good thing? When is that a bad thing? And by the way, our web address, Clark.com, I think that's a good thing. I think it's a great thing. And you can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Airbnb is really taking a toll on the hotel industry in the United States. It is becoming more common that especially during special events, that people, when they see hotel rates spike, look to see if they can rent a place on Airbnb. Our producer, Kim, for years was an Airbnb landlord, and Kim shared in the past what her experience was like as an Airbnb landlord. She loved it, and it was very lucrative for her to rent on Airbnb, made big money, so much so that she now comes to work each day in a chauffeur-driven Rolls-Royce. Not exactly, but it was profitable for her. And Airbnb keeps morphing. The latest change in how Airbnb is working is Airbnb, and they say this was always their intent, is going to establish Airbnb housing. The first one is being built in Orlando. It is a over 300-unit, well, not near Orlando, near Disney, an over 300-unit apartment complex. And it will be branded as an Airbnb apartment complex. And they're going to learn from that one. And the intention is to do this around the country and in foreign countries as well, making it more like a competitor of extended-stay properties like residence Inn by Marriott and all the various properties that are available that do, I think, mainstay suites is a number, another one, there are lots of these now, where you rent a studio apartment or a full apartment. But in this case, this is such a different angle. So you can rent one of the apartments and be the tenant and live in the apartment if you wish so much per year. And, you know, there are people who like to live in Florida so many months a year. And then up to half the year, you can turn your apartment into an Airbnb rental. And Airbnb charges its normal fee, which I think is about 3% and then the landlord who actually owns the apartment in the joint venture with Airbnb gets 25%, you get 72% of the rent. And since you're charging a per-night rent rate, you're going to potentially way out-earn in the months you don't use the apartment what you would be paying in rent, your normal rent obligation. Now for tenants... There's a real downside to this because apartments already have a certain transient nature to them as they are, but if a place becomes an Airbnb building, there are going to be strangers there all the time. You're going to have a certain number of people who show up, cram too many people in an apartment, they're partying, whatever. It could be a disruptive place to live. So you've got to be a true entrepreneurial type to do this, and this first one in Central Florida will be kind of like the beta, and you'd be a beta tester if you become part of it. Now, the reason this is important for Airbnb is right now what they have is no standardization, no consistency. You never know what a place is really going to be like, and for many people that is the what they love about it is it's not cookie-cutter hotel. Every one of them's different. But if you are into not having surprises, and for me, let me tell you, that's me. When I'm traveling, which I travel a huge amount for work, I my first requirement is I want a place that's quiet so I can get a good night's sleep. I want it convenient, but I guess probably more than anything else, I want it to be cheap. I said first quiet, but that's probably not true. So for me, staying at an Airbnb apartment complex would fit potentially my requirements. And we'll see the hotel Airbnb fight just gets more interesting all the time. Kristen's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kristen. Hi. Kristen, what's going on with you?
1: Well, I had um, a question—a question about um, opening a Roth IRA because I've heard you talk about different options, and one of my coworkers who also listens has mentioned, you know, like a low, like um, hundred-dollar one to start, versus like a thousand dollars, which I know are other ones that are out there. And I just wanted to know if that particular one at the company um, is worth. Starting just to start or should I wait to open one of the ones that you know require about $1,000 or so to open?
0: Well, I'd love for you to get started as soon as you can. The sooner you get started, the better, and you mm-hmm. get in the habit of putting the money in yeah. um, month by month and doing automatic deposits to it. So mm-hmm. if you're at a point you can do $100, I'm trying to remember, does Schwab allow 100 I think it Schwab That's allows.
1: That's the one that I that my coworker, yeah, my coworker had told me you mentioned before.
0: Yeah, so Vanguard, which is the huge company that now is approaching five trillion dollars in assets that people have with them, which Whoa. makes them, I think that makes them the second largest financial group in the world at this point, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, they have done that with ultra low costs. Schwab offers a lot of funds that are very low cost. And then Betterment is another group that I've talked about. Uh, So this is funny. It says no fees to open or maintain your account. But it does say, I guess it's kids that are 100. Otherwise, it's $1,000 with Schwab. So they're the same thousand. So Mm -hmm. um, Betterment, though, does not require that minimum to open. Okay. And they're a great choice. They charge, if I remember, 0.25%. Okay. Yeah, 0. 0.25 to open an account. No minimum balance required.
1: Nice. So yeah, you I mean, can I'm get started with Betterment. Do, okay. I'm not at the point where I can do 5500 a year, but I, you know, from listening to your show and, you know, my coworkers and parents, and I just want to start somewhere, you know, and like you said, get in the habit of contributing, so...
0: Yeah, because you do it one step at a time. I find that when people say, well, I'm going to get to that, the get to that keeps pushing further and further in the future. Yeah. And if you start with wherever you can, and Kristen, you just keep adding to it bit by bit, Mm -hmm. it's amazing over time how much money you will have.
1: Yeah, and you know I've heard you speak, you know, decade, I'm 25, I've heard you speak, you know, on how much growth can happen over, you know, four or five decades. And, you know, like you said, yeah, you got to start somewhere. So, yeah, I figured I'd ask and see where to start.
0: Well, fantastic. And I think you'll really like the platform on Betterment as a place okay, to get great. cooking. Okay, great. I will look into that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. 25 and already saving for the future. Mary Jo is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mary Jo. How's it going? Just fine, thank you. Mary Jo, there's something being very heavily promoted these days on ads all over the place that you wanted to run by me.
2: Yes, I have a friend who Googled something, and it worried me. It was putting a hold on your title, and I Googled it too, and I just wonder, one, if it's legitimate, and two, if it's worth the money.
0: Well, I've not been able to figure out any reason why something like this has started and why someone would pay for this, and there may be a good reason that I'm missing, but I haven't been able to find it so far.
2: Well, she is suspicious about her daughter-in-law. So that's all I can say, and you read about older people Having their home, they sign their
0: homes away. Right. So the idea is that she would be able to shut down access to, to the ownership Is she may get older by using a service that locks down the title in some way. You know, I, yes. I'll take another look at it, but I have not found that that is something that would be worth spending money on and what i pledge to you and we'll get back to you and i'll put you back on the air is uh, we'll check with people who are real estate experts you know lawyers that are real estate experts and come to a clear understanding where this would be worthwhile and when it would not be how's that that sounds great because the thing that i want Anyone buying a home to do is make sure they have an owner's title insurance policy.
2: Yes, and that's usually required uh, in escrow here in California. actually.
0: Actually, only what they require in escrow in California, just as yeah. in other states, is a title policy that protects the lender, not you.
2: Oh, oh, of course, gotta protect
0: the lender, right? So you have to pay extra in what's known as a piggyback where you protect yourself or simultaneous issue where they go ahead and issue the one at escrow that they're doing to protect the lender, but they issue a second one that protects you and the down payment money you've paid and whatever equity you build up over time if someone is able to successfully wrest your home from you, claiming that you don't have proper claim to ownership, uh huh, which usually is not anything to do with you. It happened with a prior owner that could go back a long way and the rightful ownership of the property is challenged and you end up without your home and without your equity and that's why I recommend the owner's title or simultaneous title or piggyback title, whichever term, is being used by the escrow agent or a lawyer. Okay. But on this issue you've asked me about... I. I really can't see why someone would do it. And that's why I'm going to do the digging. And we're going to pop you back up on the air once I have a clear answer to that, Mary Jo. Donald joins us here on The Clark Howard Show. Hi, Donald. How's it going?
3: Good. Thanks for having me on. Certainly. My question is, first of all, I'm a longtime listener, uh, very happy to be on. Uh, Thank you. I finally made a change from one of those monster mega banks to uh, an online savings account that you recommend. My question is for last week during the Clark Your Bank week, you mentioned online brokerage accounts. Um, I guess my question is two parts. One, how much money should you have before you consider one of those accounts? And two, what advantages do they have over your recommended online savings accounts? Because it's, to me, it seems like the interest rates aren't as high.
0: You are correct that the brokerage houses, and really it's a two-horse race for doing banking at a brokerage, it's Fidelity Investments and Charles Schwab that are so dominant in that area as um, very low commission stockbrokers, and they offer the the totally free checking accounts, no ATM fees, no uh, printing of check charges, no monthly fees i mean it's completely a deal but the mm-hmm. interest rate you earn right now when you have uh, the equivalent of a checking account i think fidelity calls it a cash management account or something um, when you have those schwabs as a schwab one the interest rate you earn will not be nearly as good as you're earning with an online bank okay but Generally, those accounts are for people who have meaningful investments. When you have a nice amount of money that you've got in mutual funds, stocks, retirement accounts, uh, that's when it pays to have your uh, your basically your equivalent of a checking account with Schwab or Fidelity. Someone who okay. just. Uh, let's say you're not into investing or you don't have the resources, then I don't advise you doing it, and they don't want you.
3: Okay. So it's just to have some money in the checking, but also to put money into the the other types of investments as well.
0: Right. And so they – see, for them, think of it this way. For a bank, particularly the Giant Monster Megas with their huge overheads, they have to come up with every fee in the world on you because that's how they make money. With somebody like Fidelity and Schwab, they can afford to lose a lot of money offering you uh, these free checking accounts, where even they absorb so many things you would normally pay for, because for them, it's about having you in their building as an investor. So in one case, it's their whole business, in the other, it's just a side business, and that's why the deal's so much superior for you.
2: Okay.
0: Well, thank you, Clark. Sure, I hope that helps. And, Joel, let's throw some Ask Clarks out here. Let's do it, Clark. Terry says, I've got a question about freezing and unfreezing credit. My husband and I froze our credit last year only to unfreeze it when buying a home. We want to refreeze it, but it looks like we have to pay a fee again. We've already paid fees to freeze and unfreeze for two people. Do we really have to pay again? Well, see, what happens when you lift a freeze they ask you, do you want the lift to be permanent or temporary? And so, if your intention is to keep your fr- credit frozen, which is what is best to do, when you lift a freeze because you're doing a mortgage application or whatever, just lift it for the time period that you think you're going to need to have it lifted 45 days or whatever, and then it automatically goes back to frozen and you don't have to pay. But because you may have lifted the freezes permanently. It's almost like you're starting all over freezing your credit again. All right. Carla says, I, want, I went to LexisNexis to order my clue report. Is it safe to enter all the personal information? Well, as safe as it is anywhere, but you've got to in order to be able to see your clue reports, which are fantastic on your car, your driving history. If you have a home, seeing that as well, too. It's my pleasure to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com, our main website, ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money 24 hours a day as our deal diggers are looking for bargains to help you stretch every buck. But think about that. Um, Clark Deals is about you spending money on bargains. What about the people who will not spend money? So I have had very interesting experiences. You know, when you use the word interesting, it means that something has not necessarily been a good experience. And I've had both when I have gone for off-the-record talks with professional athletes. It's an interest of mine because You have people who are among the highest paid in the United States that are professional athletes, and overwhelmingly, after their playing days are over, they end up bust. They end up bankrupt. Uh, It's not at all unusual for a former professional athlete to end up homeless without two nickels to rub together, and it's because people who've never been used to being around a lot of money suddenly are showered with, in a lot of cases, millions of dollars. And you get to where you're living a lifestyle without recognizing that the career span is really short. The average NFL player, I think, is three and a half years, maybe? Something like that. And so they've got to make their money last a whole lifetime. So instead of talking about all the people who went broke, and I should tell you, when I've talked to the sports teams, it's fascinating that the oldest players all are like sitting on the edge of their chairs listening to me. You know, gray beards in sports are past their 30th birthday, and they're all like totally focused on what I'm saying because they've seen all their buddies uh, be retired or or waived or let go or whatever you call it in sports. And then the coaches are all like paying attention about how to handle their money. But the younger players are like they think they're invincible and they've been told their whole lives how great they are, blah, blah, blah. And they're like zoning out, tuning out. They don't need this. They're going to be making millions forever until so they're not. But there are players in sports who really really get the drill that their career is very short some of them take it to real extremes cnbc profiled some of those and one of them is a baseball pitcher named daniel norris who became a millionaire at age 18 just from his signing bonus when he was paid a few million dollars signing bonus and he lives and drives a converted old Volkswagen, you know, a camper. And so that's his transportation, that's his housing. He set up his finances where he lives on the equivalent of the minimum wage for someone who makes the minimum wage full-time. He's living on 800 or so dollars a month. And he was quoted as saying, just because money is there doesn't mean you have to have nicer things than you used to have. And then he goes on to say, I'm actually more comfortable being kind of poor. Well, that's obviously not my mentality is, you know, enforced, enforced basic living. I don't know what you call that. I mean, but it's an extreme that he's doing but the long-term advantage to living on much less than what you make particularly if your revenue stream is likely to be a relatively short one you know as a baseball star you know you get injured your arm gets gives out you're not as good as they thought you were whatever maintaining that idea of living on teensy tiny fractions in fact I tell the professional players when I meet with them that I expect them to save 85 percent of their pay and they they look at me like I'm from Mars but that's what they should be saving is 85 percent there's somebody else who's doing this is Kirk Cousins who's a quarterback with the Redskins and he will make 24 million dollars this season And this is while during the off-season he and his bride live in the basement of his parents' home to save money and he drives a $5,000 vehicle he bought used for $5,000 and he saves almost, well it's close to 100% of what he makes. And there are several other examples like that. There's another person on the Redskins, who I'm not familiar with, Ryan Kerrigan, who plays defense for the Redskins, and his contract is a sixty million dollar five five-year contract, and he shares a very basic apartment with a friend from childhood and drives a used SUV, and he makes most of his meals at home, very occasionally he'll splurge. But he'll never spend more than what a burrito is at Chipotle. And then give other examples like that as well. But the point is because CNBC has a list of people doing crazy things like that as professional athletes, you know, none of us are ever going to have jobs where we're going to make seven figures. And it's pretty rare that we're going to make six figures. But regardless of what we make, it's all about what you don't spend. And I think about how it's hard to understand when you hear people on the show who make a modest salary, but have managed to save all kinds of money and they have children, how they do it. And it's all about how you approach needs versus wants. And in my my last book, There were a number of people I profiled in Living Large for the Long Haul who are doing things like this, that they live on modest salaries, but one of my favorite is the story of a couple from Illinois who both graduated from school with huge student loans, and they went to a complete deprivation lifestyle, got rid of their cars, they ride bikes, in the winter snow to save money because vehicles cost so much money. And they've been able to wipe out a massive amount of student loans. I'm sure they wouldn't have taken out the student loans if they'd had any idea what kind of burden it would place, but they killed off that burden by lifestyle choices they made after they ended up with the loans, and good for them. Debbie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Debbie. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Debbie. What's going on?
3: Well, um, my husband and I are both 63 years old, and we both have 401ks. And uh, we keep receiving mailings from like elder law firms saying they can protect our 401k uh, from high taxes and how to protect other assets. Now, I was just wondering if it was better to seek their advice or go to a financial advisor about our 401Ks.
0: Okay, so first of all, usually what elder law attorneys are approaching you about is about protecting your assets in the event one or the other of you needed assisted living. Okay. And there are these strategies that elder law attorneys use that cordon off your assets in a way that they are protected if you don't have long-term care insurance. And what can happen in the worst cases is in a couple, one of you will need long-term care, and you have to spend down your assets for the care of, that, uh, of one of you, and then the other ends up basically destitute with maybe right. many years in front of them.
3: Okay. Now, I know they talked about also, like, making a Medicaid irrevocable trust.
0: That's exactly what I'm talking about here.
3: Okay. So well, that's right. this is
0: all strategizing so that you have, depending on whose stats you believe, somewhere between 50 and 70% of people who hit their 60s, like you are, Debbie, will one or the other in a couple may need time in assisted living nursing home or in-home care and you know the numbers can be pretty imposing pretty frightening when you see what that care costs so that's why this has become a big business for these elder law attorneys to take your assets retitle them in a way that you will still have the benefits from them but you'll maintain the eligibility for medicaid to pay for long-term care
3: Okay. So would it be better to go to a financial advisor to see how to optimize our 401k through our retirement years?
0: Well, those are two very different things. Okay. And with a financial advisor, I have a strong bias that I only want you to talk to somebody who you're paying a fee to for his or her advice. Right. And that they have no hidden agenda where they're trying to get you to turn your assets over to them to manage for you. As far as 401ks, often in retirement, you want to leave your 401k as it is instead of pulling the money out to put in an alternative account because most 401ks will have lower expenses than you can get individually on your own.
3: Okay. All right. Now, is it too late for us to get long-term care insurance?
0: Depends on, you're actually at the key window I like, which is late 50s to early 60s, mm-hmm. but the answer would depend on you and your husband's health.
3: Uh, we're both fairly healthy. Um,
0: no on, n- no conditions that people would say, ooh, you're you're not somebody we want to insure?
3: No, no. I mean, we have life insurance, and we're insurable that way. But um, If you're
0: insurable it, for life insurance you're almost with certainty insurable for long-term care. And yes, I would prefer that. There's a lot of controversy about the tactics that the uh, elder law attorneys do. Mm -hmm. And it's your choice whether you want to do something like that. But yeah, if you're in a position that you can handle the premiums, great to get quotes for long-term care.
3: Okay. All right. And then um, the last step is like if we can't afford that, then you might go to the elder law to see about protecting assets
0: yeah and the things they're going to do they're not going to be cheap oh i know (laughs) be prepared for that but likely you and your husband if you are in good health 63 years old you'll be able to get an affordable policy i'd feel comfortable with that and i have a a miniature guide a mini guide on buying long-term care insurance at clark.com Lashonda is with us on the clark howard show how you doing I'm doing great, Clark. How are you? Wonderful, thank you. You have a special warning for your fellow listener, don't you?
4: Yes, I do, Clark. First, let me say I want to thank you and your team. You guys do amazing work. You give everybody great information to help make our lives safer and save us money. So thank you so much.
0: Well, you're very sweet to say that. Thank you.
4: Yes, but... Last week, I got an email from one of the major credit card companies, and basically what it was telling me was that they had sent me a letter and it was intercepted by possible fraud people, and so they wanted me to click this link and then provide. I know, right? Click this link. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I already know. I listened to Clark way too much. So I immediately, I was going to delete it, but I decided to hold on to it and pass the information on to your team because I think that more people need to be aware, especially with everything that's going on with Equifax. People are more likely to fall victim to this, and I just wanted to be sure we can get that word out to as many people as possible.
0: Yeah, these are known as pretexting emails. And they are becoming like a plague right now where because of people's heightened sensitivity because, as you said to the Equifax data breach, they get an email from their bank or whoever and it says, you know, your information may have been compromised, blah, 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 blah. click here. And what you end up doing when you click there is either A, you're loading a virus on your computer or B, you're giving up personal information or C, you're doing both.
5: Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Joe joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joe. How you doing? Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. So you got one of the Sears letters, didn't you? Yes, sir, I did. Yeah, I've been hearing from a number of people getting the Sears letters. Share with your fellow listener what a Sears letter means. Basically, they're going to, if I don't make a purchase on my Sears credit card, in the next 2 weeks they're going to cut my credit limit in half. Yeah, which can have a serious effect on your overall credit score and standing. Do you have one of the Sears MasterCards, or is it a Sears only card? It's a Sears card issued by you know whatever bank. And does I it have, have a have Visa MasterCard. or Mastercard logo on it?
3: Yes, yes it does. Yes it does. It is Mastercard.
0: Yeah. So, it's a general purpose card. And what I'd like you to do is just go use it anywhere, even if you never shop at Sears anymore. Just go use it somewhere so that they take you out of the no activity penalty box. Oh, okay. I appreciate it. How many other cards do you have? Just one. All right. So this is a warning shot to you, is I need for you to apply for another card somewhere. Okay. Because the next shoe to drop may be that they just... Tell you they're canceling you as a customer. Ah, uh, so, understand. So use it somewhere just for anything. could be, you know, a tank of gas. It can be a fast food meal. Just something, and gotcha. also gotcha. go get another card, another okay. Visa, Mastercard. It could be American Express. It can be Discover. Just w- another major card. Because what you don't want to be left exposed with is you have just two cards. And if mm-hmm. one of them does cancel you, then it's devastating for your credit score. Because okay. So how often should I be using the card then? Well, generally, if you use a card twice a year, people leave mm-hmm. you alone. Okay. How long has it been since you used the Sears MasterCard? Um, they say 21 months. Yeah, see, you, you hit a full cycle of inactivity, almost two years' worth. And to them, you're not worth having anymore. So they're they're saying either use it or we're going to punish you. Sounds great. I appreciate it. All Enjoy right. your show. Thank you. You have a great day, Joe. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for tuning in to The Clark Howard Show today. And if you're like me, you like deals, well, we got our deal diggers hard at work at clarkdeals.com that help you save money day in and day out. We work around the clock to find the best deals for your wallet, and they're on a variety of consumer items. Check out ClarkDeals.com.